Well, as we uh, try to wrap things up and, and focus in a little bit this morning on the rest of Deuteronomy, uh, I feel like it would be helpful for us to kind of talk about the book as a whole as we get started. So, um, <coughs> we see, uh, we, we have seen uh, through our study of the book of Deuteronomy as we've been spending the last several months here, uh, we've seen a couple of different things. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy starts with uh, a preamble. It starts with uh, several chapters talking about how, who God is, about how great God is. Uh, we see uh, Moses reminding his people, and we know the story by now, but uh, Moses reminding his people of how God has been faithful to them through their uh, journey in the wilderness. Uh, they spent uh, year after year after year uh, wandering after they uh, were released from the bondage in Egypt. They uh, they, they turned and, and were set free and, and went through the wilderness and uh, God brought them to the edge of the promised land and they messed up and they, they didn't obey uh, and didn't follow the, the commands that God had given them to go in and to take the land. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, God brings them again to the doorstep of the promised land and Moses turns and addresses the people and that's what we have in the book of Deuteronomy. But as he turns and addresses the people and as he turns to uh, give them uh, his plea, guys, let's do it right this time, uh, we see several different things. The first thing that we see in the first several chapters of Deuteronomy is, is Moses reminding the people how God has taken care of them so far. If God has been good to us and taken care of us and set us free from Egypt and provided for us as we wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, isn't God going to take care of us now as well? Can't we trust that God is going to be good to us and, and, and give us everything that we need and protect us and give us victory in battle like he's promised? Uh, even when the people are big and the people are scary, God's still going to come through for us. And so Moses is encouraging them as the book starts. Then we see a, a really big section, and that's kind of where we uh, have been for the last several months, where uh, God... Uh, gives Moses his law and and God's people were not unfamiliar with this law you guys remember the story of the 10 commandments and how God gave the 10 commandments to Moses at uh, at Horeb at Mount Sinai and they uh, received God's command they said uh, we want to be God's people God had made the covenant with their great great grandfather Abraham and uh, we want to be God's people. We will be God's people. So God gives them some expectations. God says, if you're going to be my people, this is how my people should live. And so they receive the Ten Commandments, and, and we have a section where God kind of gives a general explanation of his law in uh, Deuteronomy 5 through 11. And as we look at those, those passages, we see things like the Ten Commandments, where God tells his people to uh, worship him and him alone, where God tells them to uh, respect other people and their property, to value life, to uh, live in a way that, that they look out for each other. And he gives them kind of the big picture. And then as we have been studying for the past several weeks now, in chapters 12 through 26, we see God start to, to give specific commands. We see God take the general commands of the Ten Commandments and really start to dial them in where he says, 
love your neighbor or, or have no other gods before me and explains exactly how that's supposed to happen. How are they supposed to do that? Well, uh, they, they, they gave some very specific pictures. And so uh, last week we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 20. And so we're picking up in chapter 21 this week. And, and from 21 to 26, we see several different laws that God lays out for his people. And we don't have time to, to study all of them, but we see things like uh, the way that God values life. And uh, we see laws of how they should deal with it if a, a murder uh, happens uh, in their people group, in their nation. How do we deal with it if we find a body? How do we deal with it when we uh, go to war? How should the family act and behave? And there's several different laws and several different very particular explanations of how uh, God says, uh, you shall not commit adultery like he does in the Ten Commandments. How he says, uh, you shall not kill, you shall not murder. Uh, so we, we start to dial some of those things in and we see how God, really several of these chapters, chapter 22, 24, and 25, we see passages that talk about how God protects the family, about how God values the family. And even in a world where war was rampant and, and people kind of lived by a different set of laws and expectations than, than people do today, people would go and, and conquer a nation and take what they wanted, whether that was uh, possessions, whether that was people, whether that was doing things that, that we would look at and say, oh, pe people definitely should not be doing that. They would go in and they would do exactly uh, what they wanted to do, and it didn't matter what anyone else had to say about it. And so uh, we see God laying out some very clear expectations for his people. Live the right way. Value people. Don't just go and, 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 and take something because you want to honor the other person honor and take care of people and so we see these uh, themes in the laws as we look at uh, chapters 23 uh, we see uh, the importance of cleanliness and uh, being the right kind of people in God's eyes uh, as they would come to worship throughout these laws we see several different themes uh, one of those themes that we see is, I am the Lord, and you shall have no other gods, no other worship. Do not direct your worship anywhere but me and me alone, is what God said. And so, uh, you shall have no other gods before me, is one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, but we see here, in the other passages that follow that, where God gets really specific. When you bring your offering, this is how you should do it. This is the type of offering that you should bring. This is how people should come and, and enter into the assembly of the Lord. When they come together to worship, this is how we do it. And so we see some of those very specific, very clear pictures uh, throughout these uh, laws in chapters 12 through 26. We also see uh, something that's really meaningful for us right now as we are all trying to to stay home and socially isolate ourselves from one another, to distance ourselves from one another for the greater good of the community. Uh, some of us may not be at, at risk of getting sick or, or even if we do catch the coronavirus, uh, it's not something that uh, may cause serious health concerns to us, serious harm to us. But the reason why we're distancing ourselves, the reason why I'm preaching from home this morning instead of being together with you guys at church is that we're doing it because we want to look out for 
the interests of others, that we want to show love to other people, that that I don't want to pass uh, something on to someone who may be harmed by this disease. We see that in the book of Deuteronomy as well, how God wants his people to, to not just live with concern for themselves, but to live with concern for, for other people, to love their, their brother or their sister enough that, that they're going to look out for them too. And so uh, some of the laws weren't necessarily things that impacted, uh, I'm going to do this because it's good for me. The, some of the laws existed because uh, they said, I'm going to do this because it's good for us. And so we see him value it, doing what's best for the community in some of these laws. We also see warning after warning after warning. Uh, very specifically, God gives them instructions about how they are not to uh, live like the pagan world around them. As God's people, they were called to be different. As God's people, they were called to, uh, to, 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 to be set apart, to be holy. And what that meant was their worship should look different. Who they worship should look different, but also the ways that they worship should look different. And so we looked at uh, passages in uh, Deuteronomy 12 through 26 where it talks about how uh, God would call his people to come and to bring their sacrifices about how their uh, places of worship were to be set up and how they were to be different, how they shouldn't have uh, idol pictures or, or, or ways that uh, the pagan cultures worshipped around them. They did it differently because they did it God's way. And so they didn't want the world to influence their worship. They also didn't want uh, the world around them to influence the way that they lived life. Their morals should be different than the people around them. Uh, their uh, picture of the family should be different than the world around them. Everything about God's people was called to be different, was called to be set apart, was called not to look at what other people were doing, but to look at what God wanted them to do and to live as God's special people. <clears throat> So that summarizes and brings us to chapter 27. We finish 26. Let's look at chapter 27 and 28. In chapters 27 and 28, we see a, a picture of something that uh, Bruce kind of laid out for us really well uh, in his study when he was preaching through Deuteronomy 11. We see two mountains. We see uh, the story of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And at these two mountains, there was a extravagant ceremony that was uh, set up and prescribed to the people where uh, half of the people would go on one mountain and half of the people would go on the other. Uh, and they would make a sacrifice and they would call out to each other blessings and cursings. And so chapters 27 and 28, they really talk about these blessings and curses that uh, God has uh, laid out for his people. This is the way it's going to work. There's one path that you can choose, and if you choose to live the way that I've told you to live, the way that I've said is best, you'll be blessed. That way, that path is blessed for my people. And then we see uh, on the other side, the curses. If you choose not to obey the laws that, that God has laid out, that, that Moses has given the people so far in Deuteronomy, if you choose not to live the way that God has told us to live, there's going to be consequences. And that plays out in several different ways. That plays out in their relationship with the Lord and how God uh, is going to bring judgment on them at times in their history. 
but it also plays out really practically that sometimes there's just there's there's consequences for uh, the way that we live and and there's a, a path that guys it causes harm if we if we choose to walk down certain paths in life it will bring us harm it will uh, cause damage to us and, and and hurt us and so we see that in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, this dramatic ceremony. And I want to read for you guys uh, some of the curses that uh, God lays out that they're to, to call out to one another. Uh, we're going to look at Deuteronomy 27, verses 15 through 26. Read along with me if you've got your Bible at home. It says, Cursed is the man who makes an idol or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed is he who dishonors his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who misleads a blind person on the road. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, an orphan, and widow and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's skirt, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with any animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father or of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who accepts a bribe to strike down an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. <clears throat> it's a, an abbreviated version, but those curses that God tells his people to call out, Call out and agree to these things. It's a, it's a brief summary of what we've looked at in all of the specific laws uh, over the past several chapters of Deuteronomy. We see statements like, uh, cursed is a person who, who does dishon deals dishonestly with his neighbor. Talks about moving a landmark and, and trying to take more property for yourself than, than is true and fair. In a different passage in Deuteronomy that we went past, it talks about how God's people are to have one set of weights. Don't have two sets of weights, a heavy one and a light one. Have one set of weights. What that means is when they would go and they would trade, uh, if they were uh, trying to buy something, maybe they'd put the heavy weight on the scale and make sure that they got a little extra. They were putting their thumb on the scale to make sure that they were, they were getting a little more than they deserved. What God tells his people is to, to be fair, to live and do what's right, to deal truthfully with one another. And it says in that last verse, Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of these laws by doing them. Guys, that's, that's what this whole story of Deuteronomy has boiled down to. God has called his people to live differently. God has called us to live differently. And if we live in the way that God has told us to, there's a there's a path of blessing. There's a path of uh, relationship with the Lord, and there's a path of fulfillment, and there's a path of joy that that can't be described through any other means or circumstance. It's not just because things are are good. It's not just because we're healthy that we have joy. It's because 
as God's people, God takes care of his people and God provides for us and God gives joy even when maybe it doesn't make sense. So we see in these passages the stories about how God blesses a path and God curses a path. They've seen God do incredible things in their history. In the, the life of the people of Israel, they've seen God prove himself faithful time and time and time again. But for some reason, they still struggle to obey. If you've ever read the Old Testament before, I suspect you've, you've thought the same things that I've thought. That we read these stories and we go, guys, it's not that complicated. God told you to live in this way, so, so live in this way. Do what God told you to do. God says, be my people and, and live differently. And they would do really well at it for a little bit. <clears throat> they would do really well at it for a little bit. And then you know what happened? Then they would, they would go and they would do what they wanted to do. They, they would turn off of the blessed path and they would go and they would live in a way that, that God has said was dangerous. And they, they, they found the results of that danger. They, they found the curses. They found the punishments. They ended up uh, far from the Lord. And, and they, they come back and then they, they leave again. And then they come back and then they leave again. But we've seen God do incredible things for his people, for these people. And then we still see them wander off. Let's look at chapter 29. In Deuteronomy 29, we see a couple of different things where we see God proves himself to his people. He has, has been good to them, and he reminds them of that in these words. Deuteronomy 29, we look at verses 2 and 3, we see it says, Moses summoned all of Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all of his servants in the land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, those great signs and wonders. He was reminding them about how God set them free from Egypt by doing mighty signs. You remember the plagues that God sent, that, that this great powerful nation, Egypt, God brought to its knees. That they were, they were begging the Israelites to leave and, and take their treasures with them, take our possessions, just go. It was because God was powerful and God acted to set his people free and to defend his people. Moses keeps going in, in this chapter and Reminds them about how God provided for them in the wilderness. Let's look at uh, verses 5 and 6. He says, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandal has not worn out on your foot. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or strong drink, in order that you might know that I am the Lord your God. What he says here is, don't forget the way that God has worked in the past. He, he set us free from Egypt. He also, as we wandered around in the desert for 40 years in pretty rough terrain. It wasn't a, an easy walk down the sidewalk like we might do if we go outside today. They were, they were roughing it. And as they wandered through this harsh, difficult desert to, to travel, their shoes never wore out for 40 years. Their clothes never wore out. God provided for them. They had food to eat and water to drink. They're, they're being reminded about how God has been faithful to always take care of his people. We also see if we continue through this chapter in verses 7 and 8, it talks about how God has given them victory over uh, people that they've faced in battle up to this point. <clears throat> it says in verse 7, When you have reached this place, Sion, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, 
came out to meet us for battle, but we defeated them. And we took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of the Manassites. We see in all of these things, God has been good to his people. God is taking care of his people, and God has provided for them. And as they get ready to enter into this next section in uh, chapter 29, we, we transition into God renewing his covenant with his people. Moses reminds them of how God has taken care of them in the past, and he uses it to beg them to obey moving forward. If God has been good to us before, why would we do anything other than obey and follow him and listen to the way that he's told us to live? Let's surrender to the covenant now. Moses is pleading with them, surrender to the way that God wants you to live. And as I was studying this and as I was thinking about this, as we look at uh, how God begs his people to, to kind of re-up in the covenant. They renew this covenant in chapter 29. It brought to mind a question for us today. Usually I save application to the end. You guys are going to get a bonus one here in the middle. How has God been good to us in the past? If we were to pause and, and take time, maybe you want to pause the screen right now and, and just think about it for a minute. How has God proven himself faithful to you in the past? How has God provided for you and for your family and for your loved ones? How have you been taken care of and how has God been good to you? And if we pause and think about that for a minute, there I'm sure are, are hundreds of examples of ways that we could talk about how God has been good to us. If God has been good to us in the past, why would we ever fear or worry or doubt that he's going to be good to us in the future? I know it's been a, a quiet week at home for many of you. It, it may be <coughs> I promise this is just allergies and the same cough I've been fighting for a month. I'm not sick. And if I am, I'm isolated at home, so you're safe. But uh, how has God been good to you in the past? If God has blessed you and taken care of you in the past, he's going to bless us and take care of us again moving forward as well. I know things have been uh, difficult for a lot of us this week as we have uh, felt isolated that's kind of the, the, the story of the last couple of weeks. Isolate yourself. Separate yourself from other people, which in, in one sense to protect us from spreading germs is great, but it also leaves us in a place where we feel isolated. We feel separated. We feel like uh, life is, is difficult and, and maybe it's too much for you. I would challenge you during those thoughts, as you have those thoughts, as you have those worries and doubts creep into your mind, do what Moses has done here with the people of Israel. Remind yourself of how God has been faithful to you in the past. If God has provided a job when you needed a job, if God has provided finances for you when you needed finances in the past, if God has, has taken care of something that, that you were praying and begging God to work and, and God worked and God gave you exactly what you needed in the past, you allow those stories of how God has been faithful to you to shape the way that you view the situation that you're in now. Just because life is scary, just because things feel chaotic and out of control doesn't mean that they're actually out of control. Uh, allow the past where God has been faithful to shape your present. Allow those ways that God has taken care of you in the past to remind you that that there is no panic in the throne room. There, there is nothing that's out of God's control. God has never had anything go, oh no, guys, what do we do now? 
God's never had to put an emergency plan together. God's never uh, worked off of a contingency plan. God knows exactly what's going to happen. God is in control of everything. If, if we worship this God and we believe that he's the God that said light and light was cast into existence, and he said birds and birds were cast into existence, if, if God has the power to speak and the world was created, and God has the power, as, as we see in the Gospels, Jesus standing in the midst of a chaotic storm, has the ability to say, peace, be still, and the waves and the wind stops. It means that he has the power in our lives today to say, peace, be still, as well. He may not, he, he may not uh, make this coronavirus lockdown end tomorrow, but he could if he wanted to. And what that should do is that should bring us a, a peace and a comfort knowing that, that even when life feels out of control, we know the one who is in control. And we don't have to worry in the same way that, that God uses the, 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 the ways that he's been faithful in the past to remind his people, the people of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, obey moving forward. Live the way that I've told you to live. The, the, the path that I'm calling you to is blessed and it will work out okay if you trust me and if you follow the way that I've told you to live. But if you don't, it's, it's not going to work out well for you. There's a, a choice that we have to make, the road of blessing or the road of curse. We're going to look at that in just a minute. <clears throat> but if we look at chapter 30, I told you guys we were going to cover a lot of ground. Let's look at chapter 30. And what we see in chapter 30 is a restoration promised. Verse 2, read with me. Let's look at 1 and 2. It says, so it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. <clears throat> it says here in these verses, he calls for his people to return to the Lord. He calls for his people that, that they can only be restored after they've been broken, after they have realized that, that they're not enough on their own <clears throat> and God has broken them, it says, return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and all your soul. We see in uh, the, the passages that we uh, had to skip over just a minute ago, we see how God has, uh, God humbles his people in times of their disobedience that when they walk on that road of disobedience and when they lived that cursed life, when they would, would fall into uh, living their way instead of God's way, it didn't work out well for them. And they would often be humbled by their choices. When, when life would get uh, difficult for them because they were walking outside of God's plan, God would humble them. And it was when they were... <clears throat> It was when they were humbled that they would return to God and they would look to him and they would, they would cry out to him and that was when God was able to restore them. <clears throat> that was when God would choose to restore them, choose to restore his people. Only when we are broken can some people finally understand the message of the gospel. Only when we are truly 
broken and beaten down. And, and this seems like a perfect time for this message for us. Only when life gets so difficult and so overwhelming that we understand and realize, I have nothing left to give, can we really, truly find the, the, the ability to come to ourselves, uh, to, to come to the Lord, excuse me. Only in those times of brokenness can we find the ability to come to the Lord and acknowledge, I am not enough on my own. You know what that is? That's the message of the Bible. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of, of, of human history. God, incredible, powerful, holy God, is greater than, than anything that exists in the world. And he has a perfect standard for his people to obey and to live and to follow. But unfortunately, humanity never meets that standard. We often, time and time again, we always come up short. And if we come up short time and time and time again of God's perfect standard, there is no hope for us to, to meet it at some point in the future. I will fall short today of God's perfect standard. You will fall short today of God's perfect standard. We always do. And it's the reality that we are sinners, that we are unable to meet God's standard on our own, that leaves us in a place where we're able to come to him broken, unable in our own strength and turn to him and beg for mercy. And when we turn to him and when we beg for mercy, we realize that there is nothing good in us that, that God should look at us and go, man, you're all right. If we realize that there's nothing in us that's deserving of God's love, it sets us free to come to him broken and cry out for mercy. And we see it in the story of Israel and we see it in the story of the New Testament. And I can tell you, from my own life as well. God is always, always, always willing to show mercy to people who humble themselves and come to him and beg for mercy. So we see it here. We see God calling out to his people through the message of Moses. Obey. Turn to me. Give God all that you have. Give God all of your heart, all of your soul. Obey him with everything that you have and God will restore you. God will allow you to come back. And so we see Moses addressing the people after he calls them to, to give of themselves and, and to come back to the Lord, to, to beg for mercy and to be restored. We see a, a pretty significant passage in Deuteronomy. Let's look at Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20. We see here a passage where Moses pleads, begs, begs and pleads with them. Choose the path that God wants for you. He says, <coughs> He says, See that I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. And that, I, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land which you are entering to possess it. But, if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. 
For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. <clears throat> Moses uh, comes to the end of this uh, incredible sermon of Deuteronomy, and he begs and pleads with them, choose the path that God wants for you. Choose the path of blessing. Choose life. Moses's kind of last counsel before he dies. These are the final words of the incredible prophet Moses. Moses is begging with his people, choose the path that God wants for you. Choose the path that we've been talking about. We, Rock Community Church, have been talking about for months. Moses has been talking about for weeks in this passage, in this sermon in Deuteronomy. He says, choose life. Choose the path that God has for you. We see in, we as we continue through chapters 31 and 32, we see Moses's last counsel before he dies. We see the final words of Moses. It's kind of a deathbed plea scenario. He, he's unable to even get up and address the people anymore. Uh, but as he uh, is pleading with them, as he offers his final words, we see a couple of different things. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 31 verses 1 through 5. It says, So Moses went and spoke these words to all of Israel. He said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to come and go. And the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and he shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will do to them just as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land which he when he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them up before you, and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Moses is reminding them about how God has been faithful in the past, but he also says here, guys, I'm not going to be able to go into the promised land. The, the people of Israel have been following him for year after year after year. Moses has been their leader and has been, for the most part, an incredible leader. Moses was one of the greatest leaders. If we just look at it from a, from a worldly perspective, he was one of the greatest leaders that has ever lived. But Moses has come to the end of his days. And Moses, uh, in his final words to the people, his final address to the people, he lets them know he's not going to be going across the river and leading them into the promised land. There's another person that's going to come and do that. Joshua will be your new leader. But he says in these verses, he, he talks about and mentions Joshua, but he doesn't say that Joshua will be the only one to go before them. And I think this is, this is relevant. This is important for us church as we, as we live in this place as well. Because this story that Moses is sharing about how Moses, the man, the one that has been leading them, is no longer going to be leading them. Guys, that's, that's really practically the story of our church as well. Because ever since I've been here, we've been in a place where, where we've kind of looked around and said, yeah, God has given us people that, that we can follow. And so we have people like Pastor John, who led this church faithfully for years. And, and while I, I wasn't here to experience him leaving... I'm sure that that was painful, that that hurt, that that was difficult for us for, for, for us as a church to realize and to say, Pastor John has been leading us for years. What are we going to do? When he's not here, what are we going to do? And so God raised up Pastor Mark. And Pastor Mark led the church faithfully and, and did a great job for years. 
from everything that I've heard. But then there was a, a season a few months ago where Pastor Mark had to say, guys, I'm not going to be able to cross the Jordan with you, uh, uh, to, to paraphrase from Deuteronomy. He's not going to be able to continue to lead these, these people. There will be another person to come. And so that's now, now where I am. But I want to point out for you that this passage in Deuteronomy 31, it was not about Moses, and, and really it was not about Joshua either. Because we look at these verses and we see in verse 3, Deuteronomy 31.3, Moses says that it is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of them, but it's not really about Joshua. Guys, it's, it's not really about me. It's, it's not really about Pastor John. It's not really about Pastor Mark. It's not about any man. Because I'll, I'll, I'll break the news to you that we find out later in the Old Testament. Joshua is the one that, that is leading the people into the promised land, but Joshua is going to die too. Joshua is going to have a day where he's on his deathbed and is unable to lead the people any further. There's going to come a day where every person, myself, Pastor John, Pastor Mark, or whoever God raises up next for our church to lead our church, there's going to come a day where, where we are no longer the one leading. But that doesn't mean that the work of the church stops. That doesn't mean that our mission, Christian, that, that your mission stops. Because God has called all of us to obey and, and called all of us to follow. But he's not called us to follow a person. He's called us to follow him. And what we see here in these verses is the people of Israel aren't just following a man. They're following the Lord himself. He is the one who leads them. He is the one who led Moses. He is the one who will be leading Joshua. He is the one who provided for them when they needed to be provided for in the wilderness. He is the one who's going to give them victory over the enemies that they have to go in and conquer in the promised land. We see all of these things and we see the plea, follow the Lord. And then we see in verses 6 through 8 in Deuteronomy 31, I want to read for you. Moses tells the people, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. They were losing their leader. They were losing the man who had, had, had led them faithfully for year after year after year. But Moses was telling the people, and Moses was telling Joshua in front of all the people, lead the people, but it's not about you. It's about the Lord. God is the one who will provide. God is the one who will take care of us. <clears throat> so as we continue, as we look at the very end of the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to see a couple of final things. As Deuteronomy ends, Moses is, is preparing to die. We actually see uh, the passage where Moses dies at the very end of the book. Joshua is going to be the new leader, and, and, and Moses, one of the greatest leaders in history, will not be leading God's people anymore. But we see here in these verses, Moses is 
reminded of a failure that he's had in his past. If we had time to look back and, and to flip over to Numbers chapter 20, we see where God uh, punishes Moses and tells Moses that he will not be allowed to enter into the promised land because Moses Moses lost it and Moses disobeyed what God had told them, him to do. Moses violated what God had commanded him when he struck the rock to call water out of it instead of simply speaking to the rock. <clears throat> I think there's times where we look at things in our life. We look at times where we disobey and we sin and, and we turn from what God tells us to do. And we say, is it really that big of a deal? God can just forgive me, right? If, if, I, if I sin or if I mess up in this area or I disobey, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. God can, can forgive me, right? And as we finish the book of Deuteronomy, we see the answer to that question. We see a yes and a no because we... We are reminded God can forgive any sin. There is nothing too great for God to be able to forgive. And so uh, hear that this morning. Whoever you are out there listening, hear that today. There is nothing that you have done that God can't forgive you of. There is nothing that you've done where you've turned or gone too far from God to be able to, to, to return to him and to allow him to forgive you and shower his love on you. But we also see in the end of the story here, in the end of Moses' life, that, that even though God can forgive and even though we have hope on the other side of death that we can, can live with the Lord and be forgiven one day in, in heaven, we also see that there's sometimes there's, there's consequences to our actions. And God doesn't just polish everything up and make everything okay and everything is going to be perfect and comfortable for us. There's going to be times where, where the consequences of our actions we still have to face them and we still have to deal with them. And so in Deuteronomy 31, 32, really all the way through 34, where it tells us that Moses has finally died, we see Moses dealing with the consequences of his sin from Numbers 20. We see, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 48 through 52. God is gracious to Moses, even in his final moments even in his final days. Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse 48, says, The Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is at the land of Moab opposite Jericho, and look at the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the sons of Israel for a possession. Then die on the mountain where you ascend, and be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor." and was gathered to his people. Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the sons of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the sons of Israel. For you shall see the land at a distance, but you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the sons of Israel. God was gracious to Moses. that, that He gave Moses more than he deserved because he allowed Moses to, to go up the mountain and to see the promised land, the, the promised place that Moses had been leading the people waiting for for year after year after year. God allowed him the, the grace of being able to see that. But Moses' sin and the consequences of his sin, God wasn't going to wipe away the consequences of how Moses had disobeyed. See, everything in Deuteronomy, everything in 
the entire book of the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, everything in all of those books point us to the true fulfillment of the law, point us to the true prophet. See, Moses was an incredible leader, an incredible prophet, uh, someone that the people of Israel could follow and, and respect, but he wasn't the perfect prophet. See, everything in the law and these Old Testament writings, they point to the fact that Jesus was going to be the one to fulfill the law. That God would send his son, Jesus, to come and, and, and to be sufficient and to be enough. And, and every area where the people of Israel came up short and did what they wanted and sinned and disobeyed God, Jesus would fulfill it perfectly. Deuteronomy 18, we, we preached about it a few weeks ago. It talks about how there was a, a statement, a prophecy that, that God said, I will send a prophet. In verses 18 and 19 of Deuteronomy 18, it says that he will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. Talking about Moses. He says, God says, I will put my words in his mouth. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. God tells us in that passage that that he's going to he's going to provide a greater prophet. He's going to provide a fulfillment, one greater than Moses, that would come, would speak on his behalf, and would tell us how to truly live in the way that honors God. The, the, the story of the Pentateuch, the story of the law, these first five books of the Bible, it leads all the way up. There's this, there's this building story. There's this building progression where, where, where God is calling to his people and God is begging his people to obey and it leaves us with all these questions and, and the way Deuteronomy ends here that we're looking at today it's kind of a letdown honestly if, if you read all of these books <clears throat> you have all these questions build up and it's kind of like a, a tv show that just kind of leaves you hanging it, it fades to black and you go that's it that they need to make another story right they need to make another movie because there's <clears throat> there's there's more to be explained in this story. <clears throat> Deuteronomy, it, it points to the importance of obedience and commitment to God's law. But it also says a couple of different times in these final verses that the people of Israel are going to disobey. God tells Moses, you're, you're going to beg these people to obey and they're going to come up short and they're going to disobey and they're going to turn from me Deuteronomy 31 verses 16 through 18 talk really clearly about how God is addressing Moses and telling them they're going to turn away. They're going to be punished again. Moses dies and the people are going to turn away. Is that really the end of the story? Is that really the end of the book of Deuteronomy? Well, no, because in one sense, yes, that's the way that the book of Deuteronomy ends. But in another sense, we've, we've got all those pages that come after it and and we have the true fulfillment of what this whole story points to. This whole story points to Jesus. And that's why I'm excited that, that as we finish the book of Deuteronomy, we get to turn to the book of Luke next week, and we get to start to see God providing that prophet that he's promised to send to his people. Moses and the law were never the end goal. They always existed, and they were always given to point forward to the ultimate fulfillment of the law when Jesus would come. Galatians chapter 3. Let's turn there and, and look at those verses together. Galatians chapter 3, 
verses 23 through 26. We're going to finish up here, guys. Let's read together and see what the law really exists for. Why did God give us all of these books of law in Exodus and in Numbers and in Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy? All of these things that God tells his people how to live. Why do we have them? What are they here for? Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 26 says, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Tells us that the law is not the goal. Pointing us to Jesus was the goal. The law hasn't done anything for us except show us that we need a Savior. Show us that, that, that here's God's expectation. Here's God's perfect standard. And time after time after time, the people of Israel came up short. They didn't, disobey, they, they didn't obey God's law perfectly. And they deserve punishment. In the same way, I can tell you my experience. I know what God expects from me. And I come up short day after day after day. What the law does, the law is not something that we are able to fulfill so that we can, can earn God's favor and be saved because we were good enough. None of us are good enough. What this law does, what this passage, this book that we've been studying, what it does is it points out how flawed I am how flawed you are, how flawed we are. We will not meet up to God's standard on our own. But the good news is that that's not where our hope lies. The, the good news of the Bible is not, here's the rules, if you follow them, God will love you and God will allow you to, to have a relationship with him and join him in heaven one day. The good news of the Bible is not that, that we have to outweigh the scales and put more good on one side of the scale than our evil on the other side of the scale, like some religions would say. The good news of the Bible is that the law pointed us forward to Christ. The law, the, the expectations that God has of his people, they point to the one who would ultimately fulfill it one day in the, the God-man, fully god and fully man, Jesus Christ. He came and as fully God, he was, he was completely perfect. He was able to live in a way that none of us have been able to live. But yet also being fully man, he was able to die and to pay a punishment that even though he didn't deserve it, you and I have. And when he died on the cross and, and he paid that perfect penalty, that perfect sacrifice as the God-man, he set us free and that if we have faith in him, God looks at us and he checks that box. Even though we've not been perfect and we've not fulfilled the law, the law has brought us to Christ and that in faith in Christ, God has been enough for us. <clears throat> I hit the end of my notes. I found a blank page. So uh, thank you so much for being with us through uh, the story of Deuteronomy. And I've got a couple of things that I want to finish us out with. If, you're, if you've got a few more minutes, I know uh, this is, has been a kind of a long one this morning, uh, but uh, I've got a couple of things that I want to pass along and share with you if I can, fingers crossed, make them work on the, on the computer here. So uh, stay tuned on this same stream. 
Uh, we've got a video that uh, you'll remember as we started the book of Deuteronomy, we looked at a video that, that sort of outlined the whole story of, of what was going to happen in Deuteronomy. I think it'd be good for us. There's a, a second kind of complimentary video that, that reminds us of everything that we've looked at. So we're going to watch that. And then I've got a couple of songs that I want to just share with you and see if we can uh, stream together. They're not our songs. They're not, we don't have the rights to them uh, to, to uh, claim them as our own or make any money off of them or anything. But there are a couple of worship songs that we uh, either we do or there's a new one that I want to introduce you guys to that we're going to be doing soon in the future. Uh, and we just want to worship together. So uh, first we're going to watch the video about Deuteronomy and then stay tuned. Uh, we're going to uh, try to see if we can make YouTube work on here and share a couple of worship videos with you that we can worship together. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and uh, let's, let's check these videos out now. Love you guys. The book of Deuteronomy, the epic conclusion to the Torah, and spoiler alert, Moses is going to die. Now, in order to understand this book, we need to remember the story so far. So Israel has escaped from slavery in Egypt. Then they spend one year at Mount Sinai. This is where they made the covenant with God to obey all of these laws. Then they wander around the desert for 40 years before they make it to the Jordan River, which is right across from the land God promised them. They're ready to go in. This is where the book of Deuteronomy begins. And what this book is really is a speech. Moses gives these final words. It's like a pep talk to the new generation of Israel that's about to go into the land. And the speech, it's broken up into three large sections. So Moses begins the first part of the speech with a somber tone because he's highlighting Israel's rebellion and resistance, which has been going on for the last 40 years. And that sets up the rest of this opening section, which is Moses' challenge to this new generation to be different from their parents and to respond to God's grace with love and obedience. So he reminds them of the Ten Commandments, like the basics of the covenant, and then he gives them this very famous line. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, in Jewish tradition, this is called the Shema because the first Hebrew word in this line is Shema Yisrael. And this became a very important prayer in Judaism, said twice a day. And it emphasizes the Israelites' exclusive commitment to their God, the one true God who loved them and who rescued them from slavery. Right, because they're about to go into a land where people are worshiping many other gods. And Moses thinks that loyalty to the Lord, their God, is the only way to life. Now, notice these key words in the Shema, listen and love. You're going to find these words all over this opening section of the speech. The word listen in Hebrew means more than just let sound waves come into your ears. It includes the idea of responding to what you hear. So for Israel, this means responding to God's grace by obeying the laws of the covenant. And then listen is always followed by love. Yeah, so love is the true motivation for obeying the laws. Israel won't obey without love, and they don't truly love if they don't obey. So there's this tight connection between loving and listening that runs through the entire book. And so Moses tells them that if they do listen and love, they will fulfill their original calling as the family of Abraham to show all of the nations the wisdom and justice of God and so become a blessing to them. 
The second big section in Deuteronomy is a large block of laws and commands. And this is where the book gets its name. Deuteronomy means a second law. And it's because many of these laws we've heard before. In fact, in the first line of the book, we're told that Moses is here explaining or clarifying the laws. So he's repeating and expanding on the laws, making them relevant to this new generation. There's laws about how Israel's to worship God, laws about their leadership structure, laws about social justice, and then some more laws about their worship. Now, after all of the laws, Moses warns Israel of the consequences of their obedience or disobedience, or in his words, the blessing or the curse. If they listen and love, they will experience blessing and abundance in the land. And if they don't, there's going to be famine and plagues, and they'll be forced off their land into exile. And that brings us to the final section of his speech. Yeah, here Moses says, I set before you today life or death. Blessing or curse. So choose life. But then things get really interesting because after 40 years with these people, Moses knows they're not going to obey. And so he predicts their failure and even their future exile from the promised land. And he focuses on what he thinks is the true source of the problem, that they have hard and selfish hearts. It's as if Israel is incapable of truly loving God in a way that brings about obedience. But this problem isn't unique to Israel. Yeah, in fact, Moses, when he's using this language about blessing and curse, he's tying Israel's story all the way back to all humanity's story from Genesis 1 through 3. So Adam and Eve, they were blessed by God just like Israel and given a choice to trust and obey God like Israel. And then they rebelled and brought a curse on the land like Moses knows Israel is going to do. And so these stories, they're about Israel's hard heart, but they're actually a window into the universal human condition. But Moses doesn't give up hope entirely. That's right. He says that somehow on the other side of Israel's exile, God promises to transform their heart so that one day they truly can listen and love. In the final chapters, Joshua is appointed as the new leader of Israel. And then Moses takes the entire law code. The one he just predicted Israel would break. That's right. And he puts it into the Ark of the Covenant. And then Moses hikes up to the top of a mountain so we can see the promised land from afar. And then he dies. And that's how the Torah ends. Which is a strange place to end the story. I mean, it's right there at the climax. Will they obey the laws and live faithfully in the land or not? Well, the story does continue right into Joshua, the next book of the Bible. But this is the end of the Torah, and it's been ended here for a reason. 